Ahoy hoy, all you delightful little ragamuffins. I'm John Miller, and you are listening to Everybody Trades. Thanks for joining me once again. Because you know what? I'm nothing if not predictable. Yes, I was sitting around watching a classic episode of The Simpsons, as I often do when I'm bored. And of course, that triggered some thoughts in the old noggin. Most importantly, really it was about the nature of political power. See, in this episode, it's very interesting. Of course, you know Bart Simpson, even if you've never watched a ton of The Simpsons, you're very aware that Bart Simpson back in the day was sort of your archetype for the bad boy, if you will. The non-rule follower. Whereas his sister Lisa, the overachieving scholastic type, that it very much is the rule follower. That very much is the teacher's pet, if you will. Well, in this episode, Bart and Lisa, it's called Separate Vocations. And they're both given an aptitude test by their school. An employment aptitude test for their future jobs. And Bart comes back, much to his delight, police officer. That is his vocation that he has the most aptitude with, according to this test. Whereas Lisa, well, she gets homemaker. Again, Lisa is very much a go-getter and an aspiring musician. So homemaker is not what she wants to hear. Lisa very much is depressed by this fact, and she starts acting out. Whereas Bart, again, he, he changes his behavior too, and... He starts being really gung-ho about authority, essentially, because he has it. That's the simple fact. So, long story short, now Bart is the good kid, at least for this episode, and Lisa is the bad kid. But is that really accurate? Was Bart really being good? I guess on the surface he was, but we'll get into that in just a minute. But of course, since every political argument on some level comes down to liberty versus control. In other words, am I free to do whatever I want in this situation, or do I need a central command, the government, telling me and everybody else, with force, with the threat of force, what to do? Now, obviously, most of the people in society have decided that, yes, in some aspects of our lives, we do need a central command, a separate group of people, a separate class, a political class of people, if you will, that have powers that are beyond what you and I have, the hoi polloi, the non-political class, if you will. See, that's what political power is all about. People in the political class, especially the higher you go up the chain, for instance, obviously the president has a lot more political power than the mayor of Ashland, Missouri, for instance, to make an obvious point. But the point about political power is They have special privileges to essentially put force on somebody who hasn't done anything to anybody else. So that's what the whole drug law argument is about, right? Recently in Missouri, the voters decided a majority were for medical marijuana liberalization. Well, that happened. And the whole argument was even the people who voted for it weren't necessarily going, well, I'm not going to be smoking marijuana, but if somebody else wants to, that's between them and their doctor. It's not affecting my life in any way. But what I want to really focus on here today is about the idea of, again, the political class. 
if this is truly necessary, and people have apparently decided it is with things like, again, national defense, the military, and the money supply with the Federal Reserve, most people accept that this is necessary. And others accept this idea in many other aspects, like in nationalized public education, for instance. But again, if that is true, if that's all necessary, then it means that these people in the political class have to have two things, at least one of two things. Number one, they have to have more knowledge than all of us collectively. Well, I'd argue, first of all, that's got to be impossible. Because all these people, they're all just like us. They didn't receive a special brain from God. We're all created from the same cloth. We're all of limited capacity. In other words, yeah, we can sit here and try to learn everything in the world. Even Abraham Lincoln, for as much of a reader as he was, could not read all that was known back in the 1800s. Because he had limited capacity. He had limited time on this earth. He even had limited time throughout the day in which he could even concentrate. See, at a certain point, we all need to put down the book and pick up a fork and start eating. And where do we get that food? Well, we've probably got to work for it somehow. At a certain point, you need to sleep. At a certain point, you need to relieve yourself. Again, people, every single one of us individually is all of limited capacity. So the knowledge thing, I'm just going to cross that off right now. These people do not have more knowledge than all of us collectively. They can't. It's impossible. So number two, are they better people? Are they special people? That's, where we're, that's what we're really getting at here. Is the political class truly a better, more knowledgeable, and frankly, more importantly, are they morally better than the rest of us, than the masses, than the hoi polloi? Is that really true? Well, it wasn't true for Bart Simpson, and it doesn't appear to be true for the rest of us either. So you know what? Let's plow through these quick Simpsons bites really quickly, and then I'm going to get to a little bit more of the meat of this, which is something that happened in the early 70s called the Stanford Prison Experiment. So again, when Bart first learns of his new vocation, at least the one that the state tells him that he should be into, well, he's all about it. And he goes on a police ride-along with a couple of the Springfield PD. And when they picked him up, well, this is frankly one of my favorite Simpsons jokes of all time. Wow, can I see your club? <laughs> it's called a baton, son. Oh, what's it for? We club people with it. So I love that joke because, ironically, I'm annoyed by evasive political language. And that's a perfect example of evasive language, isn't it? The police don't want to put a fine point on the fact that they're clubbing their citizens, the people who presumably pay their, pay their salary, but no, we'll just say uh, it's a baton. See that now? That's a that's a much softer phrase, isn't it? See, majorettes they toss batons in the air. Who could be afraid of that, right? All right. Well, here's another bite from that episode. Well, it's quite simple, really. I observed our friend groundskeeper Willie burning leaves with a blatant disregard for our clean air laws. <laughs> Bart Simpson on the side of law and order. That's the world gone topsy turvy. That's right, man. I got my first taste of authority, and I liked it. So there you go. We've got abusive, draconian environmentalist laws by Bart Simpson there, by the man in charge of the school grounds. you got to love it. The hall monitor, if you will. That, that part was funny, but really, the part to really focus on there is, of course, Bart saying he got his first taste of authority, 
And I liked it. Yes, that's the one to focus on. Oh, Bart, it's so sad. What have you become, son? Oh, what has Bart become? Now, has Bart really changed or is he just in a different scenario? That's something to keep in mind as we roll into this next bite. Mm, Bart, the school is a police state. Students are afraid to sneeze. And I have you to thank. Come with me. Madre de Dios! The legends were true! Yes, Bart. Whenever a teacher confiscates something, it ends up here. Salacious halter tops, complete collections of mad, cracked, and the occasional issue of crazy. And this fake plastic derriere. (laughs) Now, to show my gratitude, I want you to help yourself to an item of your choice. Right. Ooh, now you be careful with that crossbow. I will. So that's what civil asset forfeiture looks like, right? The police comes in, takes property, and whether you end up being guilty or innocent, usually they just end up keeping the property and and distributing it to whomever within the department, within the government in general. Who knows where all that stuff goes? Maybe it just sticks in a locker and they burn it all at the end of the year. I have no idea. Either way, what an unjust waste of assets that happens to be. And with that, you know what? We've got one more Simpsons bite here, and then we'll get into the real meat of this conversation. Seymour? I'll bet you a steak dinner those books are still here. All we have to do is search every locker. Oh, Bart, I'm not sure random locker searches are permitted by the Supreme Court. Supreme Court. What have they done for us lately? Let's move. So as you can see, Bart defers to no authority. Indeed, most authorities, especially if you look at our presidents in modern times, only listen to their own authority. That really is how it goes these days. And if you listen to the the debates lately, the Democratic debates that are happening the last few months, and Kamala Harris, for instance, Bernie Sanders, all these people are basically promising that. They're basically saying, no, I'm the authority. Congress is basically just an advisory firm, as far as I'm concerned, and they can all bite me. That's essentially what we're getting. Hey, Supreme Court, Shamim Court. They, they don't give a crap. And that really is not... Again, this isn't just a cartoon here. This seems to be how people tend to act. Once they get that authority, boy, they go for it, don't they? And Again, I had an episode, you can look at this one in the archives from just, gosh, two, three months ago, about just comparing and contrasting candidate Trump and candidate Obama's foreign policy versus how they actually did it as president. Just a totally different philosophy frankly both of them were very much sort of hey let's bring the troops home obama famously voted against the iraq war and that was a huge part of his platform 2007 2008 and trump was also all about in the debates he was saying hey what are we doing over here bring the bring the troops home suddenly though as he's in office suddenly as obama's in office their actions are totally different so again Like Richard Mayberry says, it sure seems that political power corrupts the morals and the judgment. Okay, and now let's get into the meat of this thing because, you know, I've soft-pedaled it with The Simpsons enough. Let's get into the real dirt, shall we? And that is, in this case, the Stanford Prison Experiment. This was a period that lasted about one week in 1971. Again, 
around what Palo Alto, California. That's where Stanford is. Just as a just for some context here, we're talking 1971, the height of Vietnam War protests, the hippy dippy era, all that stuff. We're talking college guys on campus here. Now, if you don't know what the Stanford Prison Experiment is, essentially, again, a bunch of college guys from Stanford were offered a nominal amount of money to take part in a prison experiment for about a week. And these men were randomly divided into prisoners and guards. And it didn't take long for at least one of these men, well, frankly, multiple men, to be corrupted by this new this newfound political power. And one of the prison guards, one of the men who was assigned the guard position, freely admits his own morals were compromised in this following clip. I, I had really thought that I was incapable of this kind of behavior. I, I was surprised, you know, I was dismayed to find out that I could, uh, I could really be a, uh, <laughs> that I could uh, act in a uh, manner so, so absolutely unaccustomed to anything I would even really dream of doing. And I, and while I was doing it, I, uh, I didn't feel any regret. I didn't feel any uh, uh, guilt. It was only after, afterwards, when I began to reflect on what I had done that this began to, this behavior began to dawn on me, and I realized that this was, uh, uh, this was a part of me I hadn't really noticed before. So that's really interesting. Obviously, this man is. Again, deeply, he admits freely that his own morals were compromised. This was, this was a weak period of time. This was one week. That's how long it took for this guy to go from a nominally free love and hippy-dippy kind of college student type dude to, to this. And he said that he was dismayed to know what he was capable of. But he said, it, again, it was only after. It was only after, in the moments of true regret, when you're not in the moment, in moments of true reflection, I should say, that he was able to realize the error of his ways. And we've seen this with people of political power. It's the old deathbed confession, right? It's only, only after many years, and when you're seeing the, the judgment of the eternity of your maker, that you suddenly decide, oh, gee, maybe that wasn't so great. You've got enough perspective, or you're just feeling guilty. I don't know how that works, but it does seem to be a common theme among certain political figures. They seem to want that deathbed confession really badly. But of course, the guard, that's just one side of the equation. Then there were the prisoners in this experiment. Well, one man, Doug Corpy, was so moved by his experience as a prisoner in this experiment he became a prison psychologist as his profession. Now, this clip I'm about to play for you is a man screaming and screaming profanity. But I'm not going to cut out the profanity because, honestly, it's part of the deal and I think you need to hear it. And the thing to note here is this person who is clearly becoming unhinged in the first clip, it is the same man. The man in the second clip it is the same guy. It's Doug Corpy. So keep that in mind as I play the clip for you right now. I feel really fucked up inside. I feel really fucked up inside. You don't know. I gotta go. I to a doctor. Anything. 
I can't say that. I fucked up. I don't know how to explain it. I'm all fucked up inside. Help me out! Help me out now! God damn it! Fucked up. You don't know. You don't know. As an experience, it it was unique. I've never screamed so loud in my life. Um, I've never been so upset in my life. And it was an experience of being out of control, both of the situation and of my feelings. And maybe I always have had difficulty with the notion of losing control. I wanted to understand myself, so I went into psychology, so that the unconscious wouldn't so control me, as it did that when I that whole experiment, that whole situation. I was confused. I didn't know what my role was, and I figured, well, I mean, I'm thinking now. I'll go into psychology, I'll learn how, what, what makes a person tick. I won't be so afraid of the unconscious. So again, you heard, that man was completely unhinged. He was panicking, absolutely panicked, and frankly insane to some extent. Again, not, insane the wrong word. He was unhinged at that moment to the point where he was probably capable of committing violent acts, I'm guessing, that again, he may have never considered in his life before. Again, that's one week. Both men on both sides of this equation, whether it was the guard or it was the prisoner, both expressed shock at their own behavior. Shock. And again, this is an experiment, right? This isn't real prison. What's real prison like? Well, actually, Mr. Corpy continues with that thought in this bite, so let's get to it. The Stanford prison was a very benign prison situation and it still caused guards to become sadistic prisoners to become hysterical other prisoners to break out in hives i mean here you had a benign situation it didn't work it promoted everything a normal prison promotes the guard role promotes sadism the prisoner role promotes a feeling of confusion and shame so again the benign prison situation of the Stanford prison experiment. Let's get into that. Not only was it just one week, not only was it just an experiment. Obviously, all these people are aware that they're not really prisoners. They're not really prison guards. They're all aware that this is a temporary situation, and yet this is what resulted. And again, these are all people, these are all males of the same age. These are peers. These are all white men as far as I could tell. I don't think there were any black men or Mexicans, any different, whatever different identification you want to go with. They're all about as as close as you could get. Let's put it that way. So this idea of, even the idea of like if all the, if all of the uh, guards were white and the prisoners were black, maybe it would, you could use racism to explain it, for instance. But clearly racism isn't the deal here. It's not to say that racism doesn't exist. That isn't my point. The point is is to say that the problem isn't racism in this case. The problem is us. It's us as people. And it's the way, it's the situation that we're being put into that causes us to apparently snap in some very scary and horribly consequential way. And I've got one more bite here with Doug Corpy, I think puts a nice button on the whole thing and kind of makes my whole point for me, quite honestly. Anybody can be a guard. It's harder to be on guard against the impulse to be sadistic because it's a quiet rage. 
malevolence that you, 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 can, you can dam up, but there's nowhere for it to go. It comes out sideways, sadistically or whatever. Whereas I think you have, do have more control, maybe because this is my experience. Um, everybody needn't be a prisoner. I think if I went through the experience now, I wouldn't have been nearly so confused. I would have been able to do a lot of things differently and not have felt so unsure of what to do. I would have known, I would have known much more about my options. So again, what he said there was really important. Everybody can be a prison guard, but it, well, the hard part is being on guard against being sadistic in that situation. What an interesting thought and really well put, in my opinion. Now, a lot of people who are on the political left will agree with me in terms of the, the prison dynamics, the prisoner, prison guard versus the prisoner dynamic is psychologically unhealthy and something that should not take place in any sort of good society. But at the same time, it's my contention that that is a political relationship just as much as the various types of political relationships that we have with the president, our Congress people, what have you. They're the prison guards and we're the prisoners. We have to do what they say and there's no argument against it, right? Now, of course, their argument is, is that people are unequal and that some people are obviously more, even in an, in an environment with no political power whatsoever, there are still going to be individuals who have what I'm going to call more natural power, whether that's based on their own physical prowess, for instance, or they've just accumulated tons of capital and they have what some would describe as an obscene amount of unequal distribution of wealth. Well, if you take like The Rock, for instance, Dwayne Johnson, by all accounts, he's one of the nicest guys in Hollywood, and he's an absolute physical beast at the same time. So he could beat the living crap out of all of us, I, I guess, if he really wanted to on a one-on-one -on -one basis. But again, he doesn't. He's one of the nicest guys on the world. But here's the thing. Even, even The Rock, how much natural power does he even really have? What could he really do to you? with his big muscles and his lots of wealth. Not much, really. And frankly, if The Rock ran amok for a while, we as a society would take care of him. But then there's, it's just, again, the reason I bring up The Rock is he's this massive guy who, again, seems like the nicest guy in the world. But you know what? There's been rumors of him running for president for years now, and I'm afraid even Dwayne would not be able to stave off the effects on our brains and the temptations of political power. It just doesn't seem like that's in the cards for anybody, to be quite honest with you. Especially, again, when you keep in mind that the, that the, the prison guards were chosen at random at the Stanford Prison Experiment, whereas our politicians are drawn to and they seek this type of power over people. So I ask you, are politicians better people than us? If you're drawn to this type of relationship and you want to be the, pr the prison guard, I ask you again, are politicians better people than us? Should we as a society be trusting them with godlike power over our very lives? 
when it seems quite obvious that all of these people are corrupted, their morals and their judgment are all corrupted by this very power. So if that's true, is the answer to give these people more power, to to get more of this system? I don't know. To me, the question answers itself. But you know what? That's just my opinion. I could be wrong, as Dennis Miller used to say. So I'm going to get out of here, everybody. This has been another episode of Everybody Trades. I love you listeners so very much. You have no idea. Until next time, I'm John Miller. See you all later.